to another Leaders Performance Podcast episode. This time is part of our new State of Play series. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners who may have subscribed to the At Home with Leaders podcast. But if not, I'd like to say a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. The pace of change in sport has accelerated and it feels like we are entering a new era. But what is the state of play and how is high performance evolving? The Leader State of Play series explores these themes across a series of webinars, articles and podcasts. And a new era for performance also means a new era for the Leaders Performance Institute as we have been working hard to provide our members with more access to the diverse knowledge, skills and networks they need as performance environments evolve. If you want to push your thinking and actions even further, find out more about joining our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community by visiting our website at leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Now on to today's episode. For those of you who haven't listened to our At Home With Leaders podcast series before, you may not be familiar with my co-host. He's renowned sports psychologist and good friend of mine and leaders, it's Michael Caulfield. How are you this afternoon, Michael? I'm dangerously well and most renowned, so it's a good combination, isn't it? So we're good to go. Good to hear, sir. Well, our guest today is someone who I met for the first time in 2015, I think, and uh, he spoke at our event and he had a big impact, not just on me and Michael, uh, but the audience who was sat there that day in North London as well. And he's the principal of the world famous Brit School and his name is Stuart Warden. Good afternoon, Stuart. How are you today? Yeah, afternoon. Uh, well, I've um, I've had a great day at the school today because I've been teaching and working with young people, and I'm in awe of um, their creativity today. So I'm I'm here and present and feeling creative. So I feel good. Brilliant. Now, before we get started, it'd be amiss of me not to ask about the last six months and how you and Brit have, have adapted. So when you look back, sure. and yeah, how, how do you reflect upon the time in lockdown and what has it taught you and maybe made you more aware of or, or appreciate more? When I closed the school about four days before a, a major show at school that I'd been working on, which was a, a version of the musical Sweet Charity, which crudely actually explores the sex industry um, in America um, in the 1960s. 60s thinly disguised as cabaret and we were going to do a very challenging version of it which took the show back into 2020 in south london as well as in new york in the 1960s so quite a brave exciting show and there we are four days before hitting the stage the show's cancelled and we haven't had we didn't have a live performance here at the school for some time so we went online immediately uh, we realized okay look, that isn't going to happen let's make stuff happen so the brit school's way has always been to let the young people lead and they have led magnificent during this time they are so creatively able with technology that they can they're very able they've moved a play festival online they created a film festival that went online so they they became very gifted at that because they are cool with their buttons and they know how to interconnect so that, that they found it very easy us slightly older people found it harder my first zoom call took me 50 minutes to get on to and now I can concurrently run several at the same time and I remember turning around to Michael who's on the call and I said I hope I hope we don't get too good at this um sadly we have become very good at as a school about um, online provision but the best thing has been the return so returning to school in june uh, we have a tree at the school which um is kind of emblem of positivity and hope and often the students refer to the brit school tree and in june we did our first concert 
underneath the tree, socially distanced, uh, sanitized, piano, no microphones, acoustic, spoken word. A lot of the students had created work around Black Lives Matter, which is, would be no surprise to anyone who knows the school. And just to be in outdoors listening to music was incredibly powerful. We have created an online magazine that comes out every two to four weeks, which explores the students' work, which anyone can go on our website and look at now. And that has covered the last eight months with songs, plays, films, dances, artwork, paintings, photography that has explored COVID. But the height of it, if I can just conclude is about was um we used to have a day at brit school called little people's day which is for any child in the local area between the ages of two and five to come to the school and have a day of creativity um we're in selhurst in fact not very very close to um sellers park you can see the floodlights from my office it's not it's quite a deprived part of south london so children don't get a lot of access to the arts so for the school to open up for the little people of the community was a powerful thing couldn't do it this year so we went online with the people's day so we provided creative space for everyone to talk about prejudice and for people to talk about social justice there was a lot of opportunity for students to explore what black lives matter meant to them and the people spoke and it was a great day of celebration of using arts and creativity to talk about the social circumstances i think the kids have done well i'm looking at a poster that i've just been presented by an art student who looked at the pyramid of support that you need in the human condition is it maslam i don't know if i got that right and she's done a artwork about how to use kindness as a way of caring for people and society so yeah i'm surrounded by creativity bit of a ramble there but yeah i'm so what i've been pleased about if anything has been in adversity young people usually have the answers they're amazing they're extraordinary if the conditions for their creativity are there for them and also being involved here now on this call with an organization with sport what has been also interesting is how sport has become more important to this school than before i've just watched a bit of table tennis um, at lunchtime and it was exciting to see young men playing table tennis and like winning and just enjoying the activity of sport um, so for a performing arts and creative arts school to have sport in it too just shows I think the things that we've missed the most as well as hugging which I've missed more than anything is that I've I've missed live theatre and I've missed live sport but we're finding ways through that aren't we Stuart, I, I'm almost just sat back in now because I, I no longer almost want to take part in this podcast. I just want to listen and just indulge myself because you and I have indulged ourselves through lockdown, uh, through this. We've exchanged photographs, we've exchanged videos, we've exchanged ideas, mm-hmm. we've exchanged calls. The last time I saw you uh, was in, in, the, in the kit room at Brentford and then you spoke to the staff at Brentford Football Club yeah. and that relationship still continues. So if I can ramble as well with my questions, um, it would be a lovely way to return the compliments, Stuart. But you said there possibly the most extraordinary phrase you ever told me and I, I make notes as I am today when I speak to you, Stuart. But you told me once that you say you should start with kindness and then encourage adventure. And I've stolen that line unashamedly, Stuart. So uh, I owe you for that big time. But do you honestly believe still that kindness can bring that much adventure and courage and help develop young people? Yeah, I'd always believe in that because I think that one of the, the great, apart from poverty, and even poverty actually probably comes second fiddle to bullying as the absolute obstacle in young people being able to be a success and be the person they want to be. And bullying can take many forms. You know, it can take physical bullying, verbal bullying, it can take structural bullying, e.g., 
a school that is set up not to help a child. For instance, you know, as people who adore sport here, we all know that PE is no longer, although it's on the national curriculum, it's hardly considered to be a serious subject in many schools in the way that the arts are not. And if when bullying is reduced and when when it is removed as an obstacle in the environment in which you exist, everything becomes more possible. Kindness isn't, by the way, soft. It is very kind to turn around to a dancer and say, I'm afraid to say your ballet isn't good enough. That's kind because it allows that dancer to go, cool, great, I'd better work on that. And so kindness isn't just about hugging and about forgiveness. It's also about truth, but it's the way that it's done with heart rather than sometimes aggression. So kindness, I do, I do believe in it. I have seen it during lockdown. We have seen extraordinary things. It, it become, Kindness becomes confusing when it's seen as a soft option, and it isn't. It's actually very difficult. So it, an example would be if a child messes up in a school, often they will be excluded from that school in the way that if, I guess if a football player messes up in training they might get sent home that's an easy option send the problem away cast it aside it's much harder as a leader to say actually we need to work with this and we need to face this challenge rather than just chuck it out the room you know I, I, I'm lucky I haven't had to make anyone redundant during this process and I'm, and I'm pleased about that but I don't I don't really take any stock with the like be tough on people it will help them because there is an alternative to that which is to be clear and kind and honest with people and authentic. I do believe it can move mountains of relief for young people who are so battered by structural bullying and by individual bullying whether that's societal or by individuals. So yeah I believe in it I'm going to stick by that one and the adventure thing, just to move that along, is that why that makes adventures because you don't feel threatened of judgment. So if you're given freedom in the theatre room, then you can probably create extraordinary things. If you think the teacher's going to belittle you or humiliate you or be deeply critical in public with you, then you're never going to risk take risks. And if we don't take risks as artists or take risks as humans, then nothing ever changes. It just stays the same. And, you know, sometimes I've always felt for sports people that they just were like, they must be terrified. It must be quite full of fear. And I think fear needs to be removed in order for expression to take place. Well, Stuart, I often speak about fear in sport and how it should be removed. It keeps us on our toes and keeps us alive. Yeah, it's not in a many bad ways. thing. It's just about how it's how it's shaped and who's in control of that fear, really. Fear in performance is, is not a good thing, Stuart. And it looks to me from my safe seat here that young people at times seem to be an easy target, especially now. But what I've learned from you, Stuart, and I'll, I'll stress that word again, what I've learned from you is you, you have great faith in young people. Incredible Amazing. faith. They're amazing. What do you see, Stuart, that others may struggle to see in young people? The science of it is a good place to start. So the the brain has three significant development stages, one to five, where we learn and we grow and we understand the world and we shape. And then it goes again at 14 to 18. That's when the teenage brain becomes this incredibly revolutionary, rebellious identity crisis, changing the world, coming up with the big ideas. And then it all stops in your early 20s. The brain stops developing neurologically in a really exciting way. Then (laughs) as for all of us who've just gone over the age of 50, and I include myself in that, it then comes back with a big force as the brain changes as we as we get into the sort of in our 50s and later so so what i see is the excitement of the changing possibilities that 
teenagers are confronted with. And um, I, the reason why the Brit school doesn't have uniform is because it doesn't make any sense to have uniform uh, here in an art school. I don't think it makes a lot of sense anyway. It's I know people often pull this around as a big point, but it's actually a very small point to say, at the time when you're trying to find out who you are, why would you close that down by telling people to wear that tie and to have your hair like that and not to wear the earrings you want to wear? I cannot see the point of closing that down. I think it denies self-growth, it denies identity, it denies questioning. Genuinely, I've been at schools where students have been told off, not for wearing brown shoes, but the wrong type of brown. And I'm like, well, what? where have we got to that that is, that is a critical point in a teacher's day? Don't get it. Don't want it. Don't, um, don't accept it. We don't have bells at Brit because everyone can read the time. And I think the bell at the start of the day is, is a Victorian workhouse idea, which I think means that children believe they are different in different settings. So at home, I can be an individual or on the street or in my youth club, but at school, bell rings and I've got to become a defined version of myself. And although I do believe in rules, you can't get more rules than you get in a music practice room because there are rules of music and there are rules of dance. But I think stifling a young person by too many restrictions, I think, is unhelpful. You have less rules than any environment, I think, Stuart, I've ever been to, including sport, which is based on rules and discipline, a bit like yours. Mm -hmm. But I've never seen behaviour, attendance, respect, manners shown to me, a middle-aged white man attending your school in Selhurst in, uh, in South London. Is that down, Stuart, to pure trust in the school and the teachers and even the pupils themselves? I think it's really hard to create good art in a group in a group environment without trust when you create a song and you sing about how you feel you're really exposing yourself you know you're saying god i, I miss my dad i'm going to write a love song to him after he you know left or whatever if you do that you've got to trust that that room is going to be with you through that process uh, and if you do a painting or you're a, you're one of our games designers and you design a character for a game you've got to trust that the people around you are going to support that creativity trust is essential um we don't really like to lock too many doors here because you've got to have access you know you can come and drum here at seven in the morning and no one's going to bust the drum kit and no one's going to steal the drum kit because why would they it's their place of work and i do i want to be absolutely clear that the, this is a very disciplined school you know there are behavior codes and there are practices and, and all of that is followed but uh, and you know if you're late you get told off it's not this isn't some kind of boho experiment you know <laughs> this is the real deal but you know young people are by their very nature very polite i'm i, I think as soon as you close a door on them say so you can't go in there then you've asked them to knock that door over i think that that's probably not a great idea Stuart, how how are learners evolving you know if you look at the young people in your school as, as a learner yeah. just how the uh the the coaches and the the staff you yeah. know within sports organizations who who will be listening will see their athletes whether they're young athletes in their teenage yeah. years or even in their 20s you know with a pretty established career they're still mm-hmm. still learning but how are learners evolving and how have they evolved if you look back to maybe when you started your career or you started um, you know how they take on information and how just how they learn basically on the whole that's a really good question we were talking today about Billie Holiday and when she was growing up in Harlem it's possible that her family her mother had maybe four or five discs at least a couple of them were Louis Armstrong and that's all she had. No wonder she sings like a trumpet 
because that's what she listened to. That's all she listened to. That's all she had access to. Now the challenge for young people is they have access to everything. So they have just so much endless content coming at them, available to them, that I think it's hard for them sometimes to know who they are because they, they're picking from an endless sweet shop. They sometimes are finding it harder now to create an identity that they're solid with because they have so much that they could possibly, you know, when you've got 600 channels compared to four or five, whatever it was 20 years ago, that can be pretty challenging. They have a lot of material now. Their mental health, which has always been fragile in the teenage years, it's all, you know, it's always been rebellious youth, you know, Jimmy Dean's not that long ago. Uh, so that's not changed, but what has changed is their fragility has increased so they are more fragile beings i think than they were and that's interesting for them to to work with it means that we have to listen probably harder as adults because they aren't used to the sound of their voice because they don't always kind of have confidence in who they are i also think that the education system has got narrower in what it offers a young person so consequently they haven't you know there's only certain bits of history of curriculum that you know, are encouraged. The books on the English literature come from a certain canon. Although there seems to be a lot of freedom, actually, in the education system, it's a bit tighter. I think there's 120 subjects in science GCSE you have to study now. Now, how do you do 120 subjects in 18 months? I don't know. Not very deeply. And there's no room for discovery. So when you have no room for discovery, I think the kids are a bit nervous when you say, be independent, you make up your play, you write your song. What's it going to be about, sir? Doesn't matter. You decide. You know, you, you can go to some schools now and because of limited resources and limited bravery, everyone's painting the same Coke can um, rather than finding the 25 responses to, the, to, a, to a task. We have an interactive digital design course here. So this is for games designers, app designers, games makers, uh, 3D animators. And you can go to one of their classes and every single screen, all 25 of them will be different because the child's interpreted the task differently. But when we get ch children here, they start at 14 or 16 and their nervousness to be themselves or to know who they are, what their voice is. So what I'm finding is that they are, they're opinionated, but they're not quite sure what about all the time. I think they're also being encouraged to grow up perhaps even quicker and I think that's hard. And I think there is more challenge. Sorry, there's too many answers in this answer. There's probably a big challenge in the haves and have-nots. So the gap between those who have the means of production and access has really been magnified by COVID. So, you know, if a child hasn't got a laptop, then they're falling behind. And the only reason they haven't got a laptop is because their family can't afford one. And, you know, they might be falling behind educationally because of technology, which is a, a great shame. Lots of answers in that, I'm afraid. No, that was um, brilliant. No, no. What, no, I, what I'm okay. learning is that they they're coming with a bit more fear. I said to a student the other day, "What do you? What's the habit that you'd like to get out of?" We, this is an acting class, so they might say, "Oh, I need to get out of this physical trait or vocal trait." But actually, she said, "Oh, the habit I've got." Stuart I want to stop is that I own, I need background noise in my room because if I have silence I can't cope with my own thoughts and I was like what wow okay you know and so that there's a lot of noise around a teenager now not a lot not a lot of silence in your experience how best do young people learn or how best do people learn and, and how do you think they'll learn maybe in, in the coming years 
I'd like to think that there has to be an understanding of respect in the room, whether that room's virtual or physical, and that respect is in a sort of a shared endeavour, um, that there's a kind of common purpose. During COVID, we were involved in a campaign uh, with the NHS and some arts organisations called Goes Blue. Uh, I don't know if you remember all those buildings getting lit up blue. And, um, yeah, yeah. and there was one of our students, 19, who was right at the centre of that. Um, and he left the school and he said, oh, can the school get involved? And I said, sure, what's the idea? He said, well, we want to support the NHS and care workers. It's not a critical government piece. This is a celebration of the care industry. And, and I said, yeah, sure. We call it Brick Goes Blue. We'll see what happens. And then 10 days later, we have over 100 pieces of artwork, songs, dances created by the students simply by knowing that they were connecting with something that mattered. I wish I'd seen the Aston Villa game where they took the knee for the first time. Sadly, I had that on my radio. But I thought that moment of like doing something for a, with a purpose, I think is where learners go, here we go. You know, they, they do. If you're, if you're 14 to 18, you do think you can change the world. And I think if you say to people, let's try and do that then um, with an endeavour. So if learning has has meaning behind it and purpose of change or purpose of investment of um, a young people's interest at heart, it's very hard for them to learn stuff that doesn't matter to them. You know, if, it, if they're not connecting, then they're, we're in trouble. So we've almost got to say to young people, does this matter to you? Is this important? If this isn't, this doesn't matter to you, then either we've got to make it matter to you, you've got to understand why this matters. I saw a brilliant maths lesson on Friday in which students were planning a world tour of a rock band um, imaginary rock band for when when COVID isn't in, change, in our landscape, and so the kids were working out mathematically how to get the rock band around around the world. Um, you know, from starting at the O2 and moving around Paris to Munich or whatever. And it was just brilliant because it meant something to them. They were going, God, this mathematics really means something. I, I'm, I want to be a mathematician that plans a world tour. And I think when things mean something, and at the moment because it's an existential crisis that we're in, you better do things that that matter. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, time's just passing and nothing's actually happening. One other thing I think sport has done in the last few months, football has done, is it's found its voice. And I think it started with Raheem Sterling, among others, uh, and it's continued. And then it continued uh, in that game between Villa and Sheffield United right up to this day. And just to talk about young people, Stuart, and change it from from education to sport, just for a second, is uh, in the last two weeks in the the two football teams I'm associated with, which have a lot of young black players, I've asked them also to tell me what matters to them because I don't know. So I've, I've asked them to say, you need to educate me because I don't know how you feel. And these things matter an awful amount, Stuart. And I said to them, am I allowed to join in because it matters to me too? And what I've found, Stuart, through COVID, through lockdown, through talking to young black athletes, is they want, I hope, the likes of you and me, over 50, different to them, to talk about it and also bring it to life. And so we have to know what matters to them. We can't just guess what matters to them, if that makes sense. And it would be terrible. It's, 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 um, I think it's exactly the same as where the education system goes wrong, when whatever you're teaching doesn't matter to the young person. It's never going to happen. I think sport, football, and, and, and the sport world in general, you know, certainly when you look to the NBA, you think there's something's happening here when you say, what, what is your voice? Use your voice. And, you know, Marcus Rashford, man of the year, you know, some of our children in this country have eaten this summer because of Marcus Rashford. That is something to stand back and go, OK, that is powerful. He changed government policy in six days. <laughs> to change tax slightly, Stuart, you know, we're, we're seeing a shift in the, the specialist versus generalist approach um, in, in sport, if you will, you know, to be 
you know, brutally honest, obviously lots of budget cuts in organisations. So they're having yeah. to, to, you know, you're having to become more general in your, in your thinking and your skill set um, within sport. But I guess what's your opinion of the best way that you know, people learn in terms of should they sample other areas when they're young or should they specialise early in their in their chosen field? There's obviously been a lot of research and writing about that from numerous authors that, down the years. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you've got a view on that, is there a way in which you kind of um, approach that at, at the school in terms of whether you know, young people better yeah. learn if they're in you know, one box or if they get to sample a lot of them? It might be what's around your specialism. So, for instance, there is if a filmmaker is needs to is got filmmaking in them, then I wouldn't send them to a singing lesson because being out of your comfort zone is great. I want all of our children here to be polymaths. You know, I'm really proud that there's polymathic kind of like thinking running through the school and encouragement of that. So here you can do several arts options. You can also study science and maths and English and history at the highest, you know, the highest level. So I think polymath that works is good, but specialism is, is key. But what I mean is what is around it um, as an example would be what I, I love here is that you can, you can be outside under the tree and a filmmaker can be sitting next to a dancer and the dancer can say, Listen, I, I need a I need a film. I'm gonna do a film a dance to camera. Can you be my camera person? So those two specialists come together to create a, a whole. I just saw a fantastic video from a new singer here, but the, she's a great songwriter, but she's in, been so improved by having another specialist around her, which is a filmmaker. I think it's important though for artists to respect what makes because no one is alone, are they? And in a way that I suspect in football training, people come out of position to get inside the headspace of a, you know, a defender, you know, I presume attackers sometimes play in defence to go, how does the defender have to think? I, I know it's probably pretty simple as a training technique, but it's very useful here that a musician may well know how to create a backline for their band or how a microphone works rather than it just being the sound engineer that knows how that microphone works, because respect then happens, plus skill develops, appreciation develops. Um, so I do, I do, I, I'm, I'm kind of like specialist training, but I, I think it's really important about what surrounds that. I don't, I wouldn't be happy to run a school that just taught violinists. You know, I love the fact the other day, I, well, last year I had this incredible saxophone player. Oh my God, he was, in, I mean, just extraordinary. And I also, I went to see a person dancing and they said, oh, I said, what do you want to do? I said, God, you know what? I wouldn't mind some live music to help me in my dance rehearsals. So I was like, I've just met the right guy for you. So you put those two specialists in a room and then nothing generalised happens, but the specialism just gets better because of skill bases mixed. So I think education is good when it's fluid. You know, the mathematician that understands what a rock tour does. And then I said to, you know, you know, you never know that we might get a rock tour manager to come in and assess the mathematicians and then say, well, actually, you haven't thought that sometimes your singers have got huge egos and they need three days off. Why have you working them for four days in a row? It's always psychology, isn't it? So you, you would hope that the psychology that wraps around specialism is that people see a broader world. Like if you're an actor here, you will be doing political theatre sometimes so that you know that acting can change the world. You'll also do classical trained acting and Shakespeare and Stanislavski because that specialism is required. And I think specialism can always come. I think what you need to do is to... Like if you come to Brit, you can't just do ballet because that's your thing. You have to do street and jazz and tap and contemporary because it can open up your world. So I think an education system and a learning environment where the world can be open, I guess for people in football, for instance, you, there are fluid 
ways of your game, aren't there? You know, you, the 30-year-old plays very differently from the 18-year-old, I suspect, but they, you wouldn't just have 18-year-olds practising on their own. You'd want a fluid education uh, sort of learning platform for those people so that they could learn from others and be enriched in that way, I would imagine. What mistakes can be made in, in, in judging people, judging young people? And how, how you react when they make mistakes is, is important, which is what they're designed to do. So what mistakes can be, be, can be made, Stuart, in, in, in judging talented young people? I think if you're wishing to be an elite performer in sport or in the arts, that you're setting a very high bar. It's quite easy to fall quite quickly because you, it, it's a fragile choice. You know, you're being watched by 30,000 people or you're being, your album's being listened to on a radio with, by millions. Um, and therefore, the way that judgment is given is usually best if the person being judged is the person who judges. <laughs> so they can, they, they'll probably know, you know, they'll know how they did. So if they get used to self-assessing themselves, how did you perform? How was it for you? If they were coached rather than directed, genuinely, I think that that helps. I think, and you know, and also the, the other thing which is needed, of course, I'm not suggesting that all football players should just assess themselves in the game without a manager because you need the other eye. You need an, someone who's watching to encourage you forward. But encouragement is the is the key there because it's it's what breeds confidence. It's what breeds assurity. It's what can breed comfort. And, I, you know, I, I, I hear all the stuff that fear is a good thing and stuff. But back to the beginning of the conversation, we were saying try and remove fear. I, th- I think helpful. It's damaging. Young people are they remember stuff, you know, if a, if a manager is really respected or a teacher is really respected and they say something critical in front of their friend, no one that walks the earth wishes to be humiliated. No one, no one would say, oh, do you know what? I'd like to go into a public space with my peers watching me and me be told that I'm rubbish. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. There's not anyone that would want to do that. So why would you want to create an environment where you would not want that to happen to you also? I think, we, I think we're moving away from, you know, it's a man's world and I'll be a man and all that stuff. I hope that that's fading. And I think that's the footballers, that's the big question that footballers still need to answer about the LGBTQ community. And I, and I suspect they will get there because you don't, you shouldn't really be inhibiting or oppressing someone. Stuart, you mentioned something really interesting there, you know, about putting young people or putting people out there on, in an environment of massive pressure, you know, whether that be in you know, front of an audience about, yeah. about to listen to you play music or whether that be, you know, about to step out in front of 50,000 people for the first time on, on a field. Yeah, how, how do you prepare young people for that? I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's one of those things that as a coach in a sports team, there's, there's no real way to completely recreate that high pressured first moment you know you can perform in a private room or you can perform in front of 50 people but how do you help these people you know give these people the confidence to do it in front of a much bigger more pressured audience well I would say that it's always exciting this um feels like I'm name dropping but well, I am really I remember talking Tom Holland came in once Spider-Man and he went to Brit school someone said to him how do you deal with it Tom you're you know, you know everyone's waiting for you you're Spider-Man, you're the guy who's got to fall from the um, the building, you know, you are the centre, you know, the film's even named after you, the franchise, you know. And he said, well, I've just turned all my fear into excitement. Um, and he said, and that's what I used to feel when I was like a kid, when I was in my first plays. I felt excited about going on stage and I wanted to do well and I, I was thrilled by it. And then I've tried to do my very best to maintain a sense of excitement and then I can express myself and it can be a joy rather than a chore because 
you know, who does want to go to a job where they're feeling sick inside? I mean, you just don't do it. Why would you do that to yourself? I think how you see things as an excitement is important. I think seeing things as, a, as an adventure rather than as a, something to be frightened of. Often you go into a football game without a compass. You don't know where it's going to end. And we feel that when we start creating a, an artwork here, you've got, you've got a blank piece of canvas and you're a painter at Brit. You know you've got the skills, but you don't. You know you've got to you've got to experiment. I think is a key thing. I think experimentation is really helpful. I don't know how sports people do that, but that's probably something as simple as different locations and different audiences, and and also building that up. A Brit school student who comes out of here won't be will have performed many, many, many times before they're signed up by a, a manager, for instance, because they would have practiced here and they would have done it in a safe environment. Now we know that it's pretty tough, you know, out there in the real world. Some people describe the Brit school as a bubble where it's all like, which is ironic at the moment, but, you know, um, where it's protected from the real world because it's full of kindness and everyone loves each other. And But they don't. They just sort of respect and get on and, and crack on. And I think that um, it's also, some of it's also about belief and ensuring that people can cope with their belief being sort of, a thing that will change you know that you'll 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 have great times as an artist when you have self-doubt and that is to be welcome you know if someone says to me at the moment i'm anxious i'm delighted for them because they would be and that anxiety will pass that's why meditation and yoga are so brilliant for everyone particularly young people because they can just they will know that things will pass this you know in the stephen fry way it will it will rain tomorrow and the next day the sun might come up and I'll celebrate both, you know, and I think it would be helpful sometimes. I remember, you know, occasionally you'll see a, a, a manager on um, Match of the Day and you'll believe them when they say, oh, I got a lot from that loss. You know, you actually believe them. But, you know, I think it's difficult. Of course, you know, the money impact of that is huge. But I think knowing that a bad gig is a great learning opportunity if you're in an environment where you're not going to be humiliated for having a bad gig, but you're just going to be able to learn from that and then make better gigs, that's okay. It's all about, I think, the environment of care around the artist, sports person. We seem to live in an era, Stuart, that almost demands perfection yeah. and failure at something. It could be remembering your lines in a play. It could be trying a new tune. It could be it could be a piece of art. How do you now, Stuart, encourage people in a changing world to take risks and not being afraid to fail even in public? Pretty much all, all great art is is surrounded by failure. I guess the pressures in sport are, are very different from art in terms of listen to some some great artists. You know, an artist like Nick Cave. Um, it might have taken him about twelve albums to hit his hit his form. <laughs> and longevity in the arts is something that sport doesn't have. I guess so. I guess everything's compressed. But the theory of risk is that it's it will always happen when it's surrounded by a, by encouragement and someone that will hold you. And risk will take place all day long if people think they're going to be held when it doesn't quite. If they think they're going to be laughed at or they think they're going to be humiliated. You know, Oscar Wilde, he, he said, you know, only try and create beautiful things. And it, it might be unusual for a football player, I don't know, to hear the word beauty. But it is actually what gets us up in the morning, you know, whether it's persons we love or the music we listen to or the trees or the sunlight genuinely beauty does take place in sport it's it's extraordinary you know watching a, a, a great runner like Usain Bolt you know it's an act of beauty and that's what's so gorgeous about youth is because they don't care as much as the adults you know they they're foolish and reckless and long may that continue if anything if youth is con 
is encouraged to be reckless and adults are encouraged to be more childlike and, <laughs> or, and, and love play a bit more, it would help, I think. But, you know, it's difficult to, to play at the moment um, or, to, or to improvise. You know, it's the greatest thing for an artist to improvise, to say, well, just carry on, see where it gets you. I don't know how similar that is in sport, the idea of improvising. It would help, I think, but, you know, it's difficult to, to play at the moment um, or, to, or to improvise. You know, it's the greatest thing for an artist to improvise, to say, well, just carry on, see where it gets you, you know. Um, I don't know how similar that is in sport, the idea of improvising. Uh, and there's nothing more rewarding and actually more successful than play whether you're playing in industry or playing in um, sport or you're playing with an idea, it's only through play that you will discover. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's hard hard to continue that, but it's um, it's it's essential that it's understood. And spinning the learning a little bit away from students, how was, you know, principal of, this, of the great school, do you develop your staff and teachers as well to make sure they remain at the, the highest level? Because it's, it's not just about, you know, the, obviously it is all about the young people, but I'm sure you have a, a, a huge part of your job, which is making sure your, your staff are motivated as well. Let them do what they want to do most of the time. I think that that helps. I think let them, that you've employed them as an expert. You believe in them, or you wouldn't have done that. And then um, I think then I hope that you can allow them to surprise you with having, you know, an open door and opportunity to have their voice um, heard. You know, you're at work usually more than you are at home. So I think probably try to make it fun to come to work um, would be helpful. And just to sort of to be yourself, we have a thing here called the converse test. And it's, and it's I wish no, we hadn't come up with it as an idea, which is basically how long will it take a member of staff who's newly employed to start wearing converse to school rather than shoes? It's rough. It can be, it can be a week. It can be two months. It can be six months. But it will happen that someone will lose their sort of what's called vestimentary signification the clothes that you wear they will become more recognizable as the self the person that they are we've got a brilliant science teacher who wears um megadeth and uh t-shirts to school and uh, rock bands you know like, like, like dirty rock band t-shirts and but he didn't wear that when he first came here because he was a teacher so he wore a tie and a jacket and he can do that for parents evenings but he's much happier wearing his you know a metallica t-shirt and teachers probably better too. So I think once you allow people to be themselves without too much fear, they'll also be great employees. We've got some values at the school, which is to try and be original, responsible, ambitious, inclusive and kind. And that I think staff just check in on that all the time. Like, have I been responsible? Am I being ambitious? Ambitious, often a bit of a dirty word, but it, I don't think it should be. And particularly for teenagers, it should be the best word. But for all employees to be ambitious for themselves and the building and to be original within that, it's a, quite a strange group of people that work here. But I'm glad about that because um, they're recognisable as themselves. Who's inspired you over the years? Someone you look up to in, in, in just in, in leadership, in music, in education, in life, who you just you just look out for because they, they changed the way you thought about stuff. I'm going to choose two, but I'm also going to say thank you to leaders as well because um, I was I thought I was an unexpected guest at that event. Um, <laughs> I thought I was like a clown at the end of the pier, you know, like um, all these serious heavyweight sports people and then this guy who knows a few famous um, pop stars is going to come along and say something at the end of the day. And um, and I didn't feel like that 
when I was there, I was treated really seriously as a thinker and as a contributor. And that also has been significant in my growth to realise that what we have here has growth. And, and, I, and I wanted to say that just to acknowledge that when you're given opportunities that stretch you, um, and I was like, what am I doing at the Emirates? I, I, I shouldn't be here. I should be at the National Theatre. But I was, was at the Emirates and I was being taken seriously. And, and I'm passionate about about education and young people. So, But my two examples would be uh, from the world of sport. Um, I have connected very incredibly loosely to Bobby Robson because my great uncle was his manager when he worked in um, the, on, for the pits in Langley Park. And when Bobby became the manager at Ipswich, he sent my great uncle Jim a pendant for Ipswich to say, I'll pass this on to your, one of your um, nephews, uh, great nephews. So I got that pendant from Bobby Robson. I'm a Newcastle fan and I kind of liked... Uh, not by choice, but because I was given it, because my family are from, from I didn't, I didn't know, I wasn't, it wasn't up to me, but I was given it by my great uncle Jim, who, who worked with Bobby when he was a kid. And I just, I just like the way that man held himself as a manager. I liked him, I like him being tearful and emotional. So he would, he's just someone I just, I, I'm connected to. But my great, my great inspiration here uh, was a woman called Claire Venables, who uh, died of cancer, probably, oh, Claire 15 16 years ago and she was a theatre director that took over running this school and helped me in my career but what she was about was I remember once she said she went to a um a, a film lesson here and they, they were over a tv studio and the kids were making a piece of telly and she couldn't work out who the teacher was and she said that is perfect ensemble creativity and education I don't know where the teacher is can't even recognize who the teacher is and everyone had their role to play in making that telly so Claire, who was only here for a few years, she revolutionised how sort of I saw that if you if you say, to, like I, when I go into a lesson, I don't call the students students, I call them actors. And as soon as you say to a young 14-year-old, morning actors, then they go, oh, well, I'm there, I'm here, I've arrived, I'm in. And it kind of makes gives purpose to people. But if I go into a mathematics lesson at Brit, I go, morning mathematicians, because that's that's the role that they're playing. And what Claire did, and Claire got me on to reading Charles Handy, which I know is probably a bit old school in terms of leadership advice and guidance, but I think that man has got some cracking ideas. Um, Claire was all about encouraging the voice. Her first staff meeting, I'll just end with this, her first staff meeting, um, she believes in the circle, which I think is a really powerful object rather than the pyramid or rather than the square. Most lessons are square-based or rectangle-based where a, a, a professor stands at the top and then tells people who don't know nothing everything they know. It's a terrible shape for learning because you're just listening to one person who is seen like a god. So Claire said, okay, we're going to have a staff meeting in a circle. Okay, so we get into the theatre and there's about 100 of us in a circle and you couldn't hear anyone speak because they were miles away. Hello, but it, it was a symbol of democracy and a symbol of we are all as important as each other. And I bloody loved it. And I loved it. And I thought I'm going to use the circle as a shape as often as I can. But it's not possible to use it all the time. But I really, I really believe in the circle in a creative process and in a learning process. Loads of, and at the moment, of course, it's really painful because you're told to put the chairs in straight lines at the moment during COVID and the circle is not, it's not COVID shape, but it, it is the best shape for creativity and for learning. Stuart, personally, thank you. And on behalf of leaders, before I hand back to Matt, thank you for your insights into learning, into leadership, 
into helping youth, into performance, uh, and also into Claire Venables uh, and the circle, because once again, I shall steal that unashamedly. So, Stuart, thank you very much indeed. Michael, it's always lovely to work with you. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Michael. It's been a while since um, I've seen you, Stuart, but I'm ever so pleased we got to you know reconnect and do this. And you said some very kind words there about that day at the Emirates, and you you fitted into the conversation and the day perfectly. So it was absolutely our pleasure to have you there. Um, I, I look forward to heading back down to to Brit for another visit. Oh, you're very welcome. Any, any of the listeners are too. Oh, thank you very much. And hopefully that's not too far away. But please do keep well and say hello to Jill and all the other wonderful staff that you have oh, down at school. You're kind. Thanks so much. Take care. That's it for this episode, but if you've enjoyed it, then you can find many more like this and our At Home With Leaders series on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Check us out at leaders underscore insight on Twitter as well, as all our content will be pushed out on there as well. As I told you at the top of the episode, this feels like a new era for high performance, so we've seen it as an opportunity as a new era for the Leaders Performance Institute too. We've been working hard to provide our members with more access to the diverse knowledge, skills and networks they need as performance environments evolve. If you want to push your thinking and actions even further, find out more about joining our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community by visiting leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Thank you to the content team behind the scenes for putting these podcasts together and thanks for our members and our network for continued support on these conversations. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon. Mm -hmm.